Mac Power Users, Episode 574, Calendars, Contacts, and Tasks. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I'm great. The day this comes out is your birthday, so happy birthday. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's fun. I, you know, as you get older, you're supposed to not look forward to your birthdays, but I do. I look forward to my birthday. Well, I hope you enjoy it. You should. You should take the day I off will. and go do something fun. Yeah, it's a Sunday. Inside and safely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Watch a movie <laughs> with my kids. Make a pizza. There you go. That sounds good. Um, Anyway, uh, I thought it would be fun today to take a look at some of the basic apps, you know, like contacts, calendars, and tasks. I'm not sure they need, each of them need their own show, but I think it's time to kind of do a check-in because I've really evolved the way I'm using some of that stuff lately. And since you've joined the show, we really haven't dug in on you on these topics. So here we are. Yeah. I was thinking as we were working on this outline, just how long... I've done this and in how many forms I've done it di- digitally. I've never been a paper calendar, paper task type person. It just never worked for me. So like, I used, you know, a Palm device, a pocket PC device, a Newton, uh, a bunch of iPhones. Like it's just amazing how over the course of you know, basically, I guess the last I don't know, 15 years or so, this has all been digital for me in a bunch of different forms. Yeah, I flirted with paper a few times, but honestly, digital, the digital backbone is there for me at all times because I remember when the only option was paper and how terrible it was if you lost your planner or oh gosh. you know, you know, all the things that come with analog, you know, all the failings that come with an analog system. So I've I've always been a believer in digital. And, you know, I, I also understand that, you know, you're a big believer in Remember the Milk. So we were going to do the whole episode on Remember the Milk, but, uh, but hopefully not. Uh, that's <laughs> so. not what I'm using. It's a former love. Yeah, uh, that's all. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I never got over the icon. I literally never got the over the icon. The icon's real bad. Uh, it's real bad. It's just not good. In uh, more power users today, um, I am celebrating this month a year of dog ownership. Awesome. I can't believe this little pup who's been with us a year now. I don't know, is she a puppy at this point? She's over a year old. But either way, um, because I am who I am, I have gone all in with digital dog tech. And um, I thought it'd be fun to kind of cover that in the More Power Users episode today. So not really something really worthy of a whole show. But I think if you're a More Power Users listener, I, uh, I have I have thoughts and ideas. So we'll talk about that later. I haven't looked at this part of the show document because I want to be as surprised as possible when I found out how many things you're doing, because as we get to it, uh, we have no dog tech whatsoever with our dogs. So that'll be a lot of fun to compare notes. I feel like you and I will contrast as dog owners. Like you are a normal dog owner where the dog is the dog. And whereas in my house, the dog has been elevated to something much more than a dog. And I'm not sure how else to put that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but sometimes I, I catch myself doing things and imagining you just looking at me shaking your head. That's That does come to my mind sometimes. Yeah, that happens sometimes. We'll, we'll get there. We will. We'll get there. Anyway, so calendars, contacts, and tasks. I, I think let's start with calendars. 
you know, as you had said earlier, we're both kind of fully in with digital calendars. We do, however, on the Focus Podcast, have a really cool, I guess before we get into the digital stuff, on the Focus Podcast, every year we do these wall calendars through the new year, guys. That's a really nice-looking wall calendar. And I I do use one of those. There is an analog component to mine. Um, this year, the one we did is dry erase. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can still buy it if you want, I guess. But, I mean, that's not whatever. But the... um. But having a wall calendar on my wall that shows the whole year actually is quite useful. And the way I like that is it helps me say no to big commitments because I take um, colored markers and write on it like production periods for field guides, trips for conferences or speaking gigs, and like big events for, you know, like if I'm working on a big transaction for a client. So I block off like entire weeks at a time. And having that on the wall while I'm sitting on the phone, I can look at it very easily to see, you know, if someone calls me and says, hey, I want you to do this for me. I can say, oh, that month is already a mess. No, I can't do that. And um, I find it very useful for that. So there is a bit of an analog component to my calendar system. I got I got nothing analog. It is all in in an app on my phone. It syncs everywhere. I have a... um. I don't know. I just have like a real problem with doing that physically. Like you said, if you lose it, it's, it's bad, but you know, I work with a whole bunch of different people and things move around all the time, you know, recording moves or someone's on vacation and they change their vacation. So that has a bunch of knock on effects for me. I I need the flexibility of a digital system. Yeah. And, and so thinking about that, um, before we get into specific apps, I want to just talk about the concept of multiple digital calendar. Um, you know, whatever calendar app you use, you can have more than one calendar. I mean, classically, they'll say, well, you should have your work calendar and your personal calendar. Sure. And I have taken that to an unhealthy level because I, I feel like um, having specific calendars for specific types of work is very useful to me. Uh, and my calendar weapon of choice is Fantastical. One of the cool features they have is calendar sets where you can have pre-designated sets of calendars that will show, you know, different groups of calendars together. And because I've got two careers, um, it makes it really easy to jump between them. So um, I'm a big believer in multiple calendars. Is that something you do? Uh, it is. Uh, mostly just within home life. I just have one work calendar that all work stuff goes on to. But for family, Mary and I each have one. We have a family events, which is like the family is going to go do something, right? Like we are going to go visit grandma or whatever it is. And then as the kids have been online for school for the past year, they now each have their own calendar. They don't edit them. They don't see them, but it's where my wife keeps up with what they're supposed to be doing roughly at school. So if it's 1130 and the six-year-old is running around the kitchen trying to find something to eat for lunch, she can glance and say, oh, he's supposed to be in class. And so we have quite a few. Yeah. You know, that that concept of a family calendar is something that sounds great in theory, but in practice often is a mess. And I am on a secret campaign. Thank goodness my wife doesn't listen to this. I'm on a campaign to like kill the family calendar because uh, my experience is that my family doesn't understand 
the concept of a family calendar. <laughs> you know, I mean, a family calendar would imply that everyone on that calendar is to attend that event, right? Sure. Whereas people in my family are like, well, I'm going to the dentist and they should know I'm going to the dentist. So I'll put it on the family calendar. <laughs> and, and I get all these events showing up on my calendar. And, and I'm somebody who literally lives day to day in my calendar. I, I hate that when things show up that I'm not supposed to, that don't involve me. And I see dentist appointment and I freak out that somehow I forgot that I have a dentist appointment, you know? Um, so I've been really trying to talk my family into not using the family calendar. And then like, if, if we're going to do an event, somebody creates an event and shares it to us. Cause you can easily share events with other people. And even though it's, you know, there's an owner of the event, it's not on the family calendar. I find that much better. Is that, is that anal retentive? I'm not sure. Maybe it is. It would bother me too. notice. I'm not answering if it's anal retentive or not. <laughs> it would bother me too. And maybe once we have, kids that are old enough to like add things to their calendar, that would be a problem. But right now it's just me and Mary is the only people with access to it. So it's not too bad. Yeah. So we do the same thing though. We have a calendar for each person and iCloud is our underlying engine, uh, cloud engine of calendars. Same. Um, and and we'll, we'll, let's put a pin in that. I want to talk about the options there in a minute, but uh, one of the beauties of leaving my, my law firm was getting off of, Microsoft Office Exchange and just being on one system. And I know Exchange is great and it's got some cool features, but I really wanted to have my calendars and contacts in just one bucket as opposed to multiple buckets. And that was six years ago now, hard to believe. Uh, but the um, I have not had any syncing problems with iCloud, particularly, I think, because I just have everything in the iCloud bucket. But So we've got all these iCloud calendars and... Um, in addition to the family ones, I have one for personal events, and that is like the dental appointment stuff for me. I have another one for the law practice, which is just one, Sparks Law. And then with Max Sparky, I've got a bunch of calendars because I have a separate calendar for each podcast I'm on that I share with the co-host. You and I have a shared calendar. So, so we can both set like if we need to do a meeting about the show or if we need to plan a recording date, we can both see it. Um, so I do that for all three of my podcasts. I have a, a calendar for the field guides, which is largely a production calendar. It's a duplicate of that stuff on my big wall calendar. So I'll say, you know, working on the, you know, next field guide and it'll be a day long event that goes, you know, from through the whole month, you know, but when I view that, I can see that big stripe going across. And it's not necessarily present all the time. Um, I have the Max Barkey calendar, which is where I'm actually doing Max Barkey work. Um, and I have a calendar called Focus because I do all of these nerdy things to kind of hold my, my uh, you know, what together. I like, you know, I regularly, at the end of the day, I, I do like a shutdown process. And um, at the end of each week and each month, I do like a review process. And those never really made sense as personal events because they're more about Max Barkey and the law practice than they are about me personally. But, you know, they're, they're kind of all of it. So I call that the focus calendar when I'm trying to focus on my life, which is kind of ironic because I have another calendar called Focused from the Focus <laughs> podcast. So that can lead to trouble. I've got a calendar because of the, you know, COVID 
I got kicked out of my home studio. And so I set up a temporary studio in the bedroom on podcast days. I've got a temporary desk and audio baffles and a whole bunch of stuff. And that's just the way it has to be, you know, with four of us living in our little house. I can't record podcasts in the middle of the house. Um, but as a result, I need to have that room available to me. So my wife and I share a calendar called Podcast Schedule. And it's just, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't tell her what show I'm recording, but it just says I need the room on this day from this time to that time. And she's great about checking it. And that way I don't have to, like, tell her at the last minute, hey, you got to get out of bed early today and let me have the room. But I guess my point is, and that's, you know, I have birthday calendars and holiday calendars and other stuff too, but I feel like having a lot of calendars is really good because then when I get into my calendar, I can create all these views. Like I can put like a week long event on the legal calendar that doesn't show up. Um, I also have a legal um, project calendar that does that, you know, where it once again duplicates kind of the wall calendar where I can see big stripes of time in various areas of my life. And all I have to do is push a button to see those, but I push another button and they disappear. And by segregating these into individual calendars, that gives me those options. It's the same reason that, that I've got multiple calendars because there are times where I don't need to see what's going on in a certain calendar and I can come back to it. Right. If, if the time is appropriate and it with iCloud in particular, um, we we both mentioned that we we both use that for all of our all of our calendaring. Although I do have a couple of Google calendars for work, but for for like my public email addresses to people to send me invites to. But one thing that's great and I think really underrated about the the sharing within iCloud is that you can really fine tune. You can really fine tune how that works. And so if you have someone that you want to to send this to and you don't necessarily you, you just want it to be between y'all, you can just add people, add their Apple ID and you're good to go. But there's also a really cool feature that I've used a couple of times for projects called the public calendar. So anyone can subscribe to a read-only version of it. So say that you're in charge of you know, the kids soccer team or whatever, you can make an iCloud calendar and then share it with a bunch of people, but they don't have right access to it, which is a a really nice feature as well. So sharing doesn't necessarily have to be about, we both have things we put on it. You can use it as a, as a way to give information to other people. But they, you could also put that public calendar where they do have right access. So like if you have a virtual assistant or someone that you want to be able to get in and fiddle with your calendar. It's all the options are there. Let's just take a minute to compare that um, with Google Calendar and Microsoft. I think those are really the two big competitors to iCloud. Uh, definitely, Google Calendar has a whole lot of sharing options as well. In some ways, the sharing I think in in Google system is more flexible. Uh, it also does a really good job with um, with Google Apps or Suite or whatever it's called today. So if you're within an organization, you can have calendars for the organization and share them with certain people in the organization with set permissions. iCloud doesn't really have much of a idea of that sort of thing, but you, of course you can do you can just share things manually. But with uh, 
you know, Google Suite, G Suite, Google Apps, again, whatever it's called this week, you can really build things up for an entire team or company or school or whatever. So if you need calendaring on a larger, wider basis, I think Google is is better suited than Apple is at this point. Yeah, I, I feel like Google might be the most ubiquitous at this point because so many people have Gmail accounts yeah. and that's just where they go. I, I note that I get a lot of calendar invites from clients and people in my professional life and Google is by far the winner of where those calendar invites are coming from. It used to be a big deal, you know, pending picking a calendar platform and how nothing really worked with it, anything else. And I mean, I used to write these Rube Goldberg scripts to copy events from one calendar system to another so I could get, you know, this or that feature. None of that is really necessary anymore. Uh, all of the calendar apps we're going to talk to do, about today support all of these platforms. So yeah. you can run them on any. Um, I do think that, like, for a work situation, you should look carefully at Microsoft and Google. And one of the reasons is they're very good at calendar sharing. You know, when you're in an organization, you need to know, like, hey, I want to meet Steven. When is he available for an event? And and Steven can block out on his calendar times he's available for events. And and there's third-party services for this, too. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But um, those really have it baked in. And if your organization is Microsoft or Google-based, I would not recommend trying to force an iCloud account into that. Just go with it. I mean, they're they're fine services. They are, most definitely. And, you know, one thing you said is that in the app we're going to talk about today, you can sign into these various services. You can do that at the iOS level and macOS level as well. And they're totally fine living side by side. I mean, for years and years, I worked in organizations uh, back when I had a job that was that were based on uh, Google. And even now at Relay, we use Google for our company calendars and everything. And they can be signed in side by side. And the, most of these applications will interleave them. And so you can have your iCloud calendar and your work exchange calendar and your soccer team Google calendar all in the same place. And so what this, this system uh, is so flexible now with all of these services and apps that you can have stuff spread around if you need to and you don't really lose anything by having it that way. Yeah, agreed. And you're you're just going to be fine with whichever ever one you pick. But whichever one you pick, I recommend spending some time to learn the feature sets of it because they are different. And um, uh, power using your calendar is a secret weapon for a lot of people. I'm going to talk about block scheduling in a minute. And understanding how your calendar works can make a huge difference in what you get done. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. All of us have countless online accounts from social media all the way up to things like banking and finance. And each one of those accounts needs to have its own secure, unique password to keep us safe. That's a tall order, and that's where 1Password comes in. You can use it to create strong, unique passwords, and the best part is you don't have to remember them because they're all stored in 1Password synced to all of your devices. So if you're at home or in the office or on the go, you can log into all of your accounts easily. With 1Password for Families, you can share login information with the important people in your life, but it's much more than login information. You can have secure notes, upload documents, credit cards, bank routing information, anything you need to keep secure. And you can use it at work with 1Password for Teams. It works across a wide range of browsers and platforms, and 
they always stay up to date. So you can use things like Face ID or Touch ID to log in. It's fantastic. So go learn more. Head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial and you'll get 20% off. Once again, it's onepassword.com slash MPU. So let's talk apps for a minute. Um, I've already mentioned Fantastical. I'm going to start with that one because I've been using it for a long time. As a full disclosure, they paid me a couple years ago to make some videos for them. Um, I'm not like on the take. I pay. I just paid my subscription, so I, I'm not enough in the fold that I get a free subscription to Fantastic. <laughs> but the, uh, but I am friends with the guys that make it, and what I love about it is they've got a team of people there that are doing nothing but working 24 seven on making a calendar app, which I don't get the impression Apple is doing the same thing. Fantastic. I'll move to a subscription model, uh, over a year ago, a bunch of people got really mad and you know, I'm not here to talk about subscriptions today, but to me, I'll tell you it's worth the yearly fee. I just paid it. Um, so, uh, I feel like a, a calendar needs to be a powerful tool for me. And, there's just a lot I like about it. Um, it's got the user interface, I think, is much more deliberate than the calendar one. And just kind of starting there, every time I open the calendar app, and I had not opened it on this new Mac, by the way, until we started prepping for the show, because I just don't mm-hmm. use it. And I just forgot how painful it is like to create a new event it requires a combination of mouse clicks and keyboard and mouse clicks and keyboard. It just, and then the edit event. I mean, the, the calendar team has never done that job of saying, how can we make this easier for people to add new events? And I feel like that is like a fundamental problem. Now, I guess I should uh, qualify that they do have a a box you can type in that kind of auto generates the events, but nothing like the way fantastic Al does. Yeah, it's not nearly as as smart as what Fantastical has done. I, until very recently, used the calendar app. It was slow, yes, but it, it worked for my needs. I checked Fantastical out years ago and felt like it was maybe overkill for what I needed, but I checked it out again uh, in preparation of this episode, and the natural language entry has, I think it's won me over. It's the same reason I use the task manager that I do is that I can just type a bunch of metadata in with the name of the event and it just figures out what I want and puts it on my calendar without all the clicking and checkboxes and drop downs that you get in Apple's calendar app. It's it's pretty great. Yeah, so that you know that that natural language parser is the thing that made Fantastical popular to begin with. I mean, it started out as a menu bar app. It didn't even have a calendar originally. And the way it works is you open up a box and you just start typing. So I could open up the box and say listen to Mac Power users mun m o n 10-12 and then alarm uh, space one zero slash P. Okay. And just to kind of break that down, listen to Mac power users is going to be, it's going to automatically sort all that out. It's going to take, listen to Mac power users, the event name, mon 10 hyphen 12. It's going to say it's Monday, 10 AM to 12 AM. Um, what else did I say? Alarm 10 It's going to put a 10 minute alarm on that. Uh, also alarm zero works by the way, if you want to just give you an alert when you're supposed to make a phone call, 
And then slash P would give me my personal calendar. So it would put it on my personal calendar. And then you hit return and it's created. And there's even more you can do with, like I could say with Stephen Hackett, and it would add Stephen to the event. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff you could do with it. I'll put a link to the uh, tutorial videos in the show notes. But that is the reason, the, the very first reason why I use this app. Because when people call me and, or I get an email that says, hey, I want to talk to you tomorrow at 2 p.m., I can create that event so fast. And, and that's the difference for me between actually adding the event at the moment or you know, saying I will add it later and never actually adding it later and then me not being ready tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very powerful. And but what I I also like about it, and you touched on this earlier when we were talking about sometimes you only want to see certain calendars. Fantascal has this feature called calendar sets, and so I've got one that's just the ones that I want to see during the workday, and then I've got one that shows me absolutely everything, and then I have one that is just the Relay FM live calendars. If you go on the Relay website. There's a calendar in there showing the next time a show that broadcasts live will be on the air. And that's just a Google calendar. We just scrape it and put it on the website. And so I can edit that. But I don't want to see that 99.9% of the time because I don't want to change it accidentally or remove something or it cluttering up what I need to see. Yeah. So you can very quickly create and move between those sets. And and it's a it's really great if you're like me and you have a bunch of calendars. You just need to see every once in a while like my kids' school calendars, right? Like I need to see those if I'm in the house one day and I'm helping with school. But, you know, most days I'm working and my wife is working and we're kind of juggling it. So I can turn those on and off as I need them. Yeah. Well, I I talked earlier about how my wife and I have a shared calendar for podcasting, you know, where I need the room. And I I call that calendar set podcast scheduling. And it's got that shared calendar of me and my wife, but it's also got this, all the show calendars for the shows I'm on. And I look at that like once a week just to make sure that I've got the room reserved when I need it. But then I don't I don't want to look at that reservation calendar any other time. So mm-hmm. so like you, I, just like I have a lot of calendars, I have a lot of different views and I can jump between them throughout the day. And I just find this a really useful, you know, feature. And, you know, it, you can look at a calendar a lot of ways. But for me, I look at a calendar as really a like an assistant to get me through the day to tell me where to be. And most of my appointments are not with other people. They're with myself, but still they get on the calendar. And I've always had this thought that calendars, you know, um, you know, task lists are infinite, no matter which task, you know, manager you use, you can add an infinite number of tasks to it. Whereas your time is finite. And I think that is a key distinction. So, using your calendar to put blocks around time to work on certain areas of your task list make a lot of sense. You know, historically people would say, well, make a big task list and just start working through it. Well, the fact is you're never going to get through it and you're just going to be depressed, you know? <laughs> right. You, you know, what you need to do is that's good. Track all those things you need to do, but find specific time to work on specific pieces of it and work within those guide boundaries. And then you'll be a lot more productive and you won't feel bad every night. Um, so that's why the calendar is just so key to me. And I use all of those, those features for that. Yeah, I'm the same way. I absolutely, absolutely live by my calendar. And if things aren't there, then they, they generally just don't happen. There's a ton of little uh, nice features and fantastic that I like, um, like it gives you a message when it's somebody's birthday to remind them, you know, to, to, you know, send them a message. 
Um, they have an excellent mobile app. Um, their widget is is gorgeous. I mean, I've got the widget using two thirds of my home screen on my phone at all times. Uh, one of the things they did with the widget that I really appreciate is they put the weather in. And I want to take a little bit of credit for that because I emailed them like 20 times saying, just put the weather on it, guys. Please find a way, you know, because that that allows me to avoid one additional widget. You know, mm-hmm. I've got my calendar, my weather together, and they they did. They figured it out. Uh, they're very automation friendly. Like one of the things, because I'm so into these calendar blocks, I've written a bunch of shortcuts that will take every event today and move it back an hour or do all sorts of weird slicing, dicing with my calendar. They've fully embraced shortcuts. So I can do all that stuff on my phone. It's just a, a great app. And uh, and one other feature, because we've got others to cover this show. We're, we're not trying to make it a whole calendar show. But uh, one other feature that is really great with the subscription is you can send appointment availability to people in a way that I like. So there are these apps and services out there you can sign up for where you can put your calendar on the Internet and people can go sign up for a meeting with you. And I have a lot of attorney friends that use this, like estate planning attorneys that want new clients. You know, you go and you fill out the web form and then you have a designated time to talk to them about setting up their estate plan. Well, the kind of law practice doesn't work that way. And the thought of some stranger taking a block on my calendar just gives me the creeps. So I don't use any of those services. No, no. (laughs) Uh, The only one I I use sometimes is called uh, Calendly. Calendly? Is yeah. that how you say it? Yeah. But that's not L-Y. what yeah. this is. This is a yeah. you set up a bunch of, hey, let's record this podcast, and you put 10 times in, and then the three people go in and vote. I agree with you. I don't want other people to add things to my calendar. I don't mind invites when that's appropriate, right? I got one this morning for a meeting I have later this month. Like, yeah, that's totally cool. But I don't want it like a website, someone to be able to like, hey, I'm going to have a call with you at 2 o'clock on Tuesday. Do not want that. Hey, just a public service announcement on that. When you send someone a calendar invite, think about how it looks on their calendar. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Do not send me a calendar invite that says telephone call with David Sparks. That doesn't help me on my calendar, right? You want to say Hackett slash Sparks phone call concerning, you know, but don't just think about that. I, that's a pet peeve of mine, but I hate when people send me calendar invites that that don't make any sense on my calendar. Um, either way. Um, so, but what I was going to say is fantastic. Health does have a feature, however, where you can have multiple proposed times for a meeting. And so like if Steven and I need to talk about his company, I'll send him an email or I'll, I'll create an, a, a, a block of time for this call. And so let's say I'll say I'll set it for Wednesday at two, but then I can add additional time. So I'll say Wednesday at two o'clock or three o'clock or Friday at 10 a.m. or 2 p.m. I can do that in Fantastical. Fantastical sends a formatted email to Steven and he picks one. Now, the, the thing that this solves is in the meantime, I've got those four blocks on my calendar taken. And this is a problem I used to have. I used to use like a question mark. Like I would send Steven a proposal to say, let's meet on Tuesday at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. And I have two calendar events with a question mark at the beginning of them, which in, in my head meant I've proposed this. I haven't heard back yet, but it's a ton of work to manage that. You know, what does he reply? And then I have to delete the other ones. Um, but you have to reserve that time because if you don't, 
then you you calendar on top of it, and then Stephen writes back and says, well, I can do it at 11 o'clock. You say, well, too late. I already did that, and then you're back to square one. Mm-hmm. So the way this works is it reserves those on your calendar. It shows them as proposed times. And when Stephen replies to the email and picks one, the other three disappear from my calendar, and the other one becomes solid. So it like automates the process. I think it's a very handy feature. I don't think many people use it, but for someone like me, this is a daily instance of sending those out i'm sure i've sent some to you over the over the last year or two uh yeah you know we've set up calls at various times and it's it is a nice feature because it's a good balance between (laughs) just all those emails back and forth it's not confusing uh it's it's really nice and that's i mean fandascal is so well thought out in that like one feature that they've added at some point I i don't even know when it showed up is if you have a zoom like a zoom event or you know there's a this a little link that shows up on your calendar and you just click it and it launches the zoom url so you don't have to like go into the notes of the event and copy and paste it or whatever it's like that little touch makes it all the better to use yeah now another calendar app um that is a third-party app that i would recommend checking out if fantastical doesn't float your boat is BusyCal. yes um, they've been around a long time. Uh, they had a change in ownership a year or two ago, and you always worry, you know, because the the historical developers of that were really great, and and the new developers have been doing just fine. I mean, I checked it out in prep for today's show, and it's got a lot of the same features as Fantastical. It's definitely got a different look about it, and I think with the uh, Fantastical subscription model, they've been able to really put the gas down on these new features, but. I know a lot of people that use BusyCal and are, are really happy with it. Yeah, I used it for a long time. And it it kind of looks like Apple's calendar app if it was more power user focused. Uh, and it's part of SetApp too. So if you're a SetApp subscriber, you can you can check it out there. And it does a lot of really um a lot of really interesting things. One of my favorite things is the info panel. So if you're in the Apple calendar and you click on an event, you get the pop over. Right. And then you have to hit more, like scroll around in it, and it feels very fragile. BusyCal does it just in the sidebar of the app. So no matter what, where you click on an event, all the data is always in the same place. And I really like that. Um, and it integrates to dos into that sidebar as well. So if you are a person who likes to mix task and calendar events, there's one thing I want to ask you about, David, in a little while. That is uh, kind of baked right in to, um, to busy cal yeah and then you know there's the free option which is apple's calendars app and you know we've been trashing it for the whole episode but it's not bad i mean it's fine it it works with google and microsoft um you know they've got versions on all their platforms um it's got the basics covered just like fantastical and busy cal it covers you know most of what you need in terms of like multiple calendars and setting colors. Um, for me, the hang up with Apple's calendars app is just the lack of progress on development. You know, I mean, there's just a huge difference between an app that gets polished once every year or two or three and an app that's got people looking at it every day saying, how can we make this better? Yeah, and exactly. So we've talked about this so many times with Apple's built in apps where some of them just feel like, they're on a carousel and every three or four or five years, Apple gets around to doing something in them and then lets them, you know, go around the ride again before they come back up front and center. 
But that's not true with Fantastic Cal or Busy Cal or any other third party app like this, because this is like this when this is your business, the app is going to be paid attention to all the time. Yeah. And, you know, and if you're somebody who checks your calendar every Sunday, you know, to see if you have a dentist appointment on Tuesday or not, this is a fine application for that. I mean, it's it's great, you know, for the basics. I just think if you're going to be someone who kind of lives in your calendar, it's worth it to spend a little money to get the power features. And that's that's where you have to make your decision. You know, every time we have a show like this, and I recommend a, an app that costs money or has a subscription, I get a bunch of emails saying, well, this is working just fine for me. And that's cool. I think if it's working fine for you, number one, you don't need to email me. But number two, that's what you should use. I mean, mm-hmm. the trick with all this stuff is to use something that is as complex as you need it to be, but no more complex. That's right. Um, and and it, it, the Apple Basic apps, they're not garbage. I mean, they don't crash. They're solid. When you put an event in, it stays in your calendar. It's not like it screws up the iCloud sync or something. So that's fine, you know, but if you want more power than you do. And I guess that kind of leads into this whole idea of block scheduling that I was referencing earlier. I am a big fan. I mean, if you saw my calendar, you'd probably get angry at me because there's just blocks every day, all week. It's not pretty, you know, but it's the way that that I manage to get work done all back to this whole idea that, you know, task lists are infinite, time is finite. And um, the historical model of task management for me was not working. You know, I have too many tasks and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do all the time. And I feel like I'm never going to get out of this mess. Right. And then the other problem with that is because you have so many tasks, it's very easy to work too long on one piece of your life, but not long enough on the other. And when I left the firm six years ago, I found, I thought, oh, I'm going to spend all this time on field guides and make these great field guides. And I never did because I was always doing other stuff. And I realized the only way I could make field guides is to carve out time to make field guides. So I did, you know, and I started block scheduling and that kind of led me down this whole rabbit trail. I call it hyper scheduling. You could also call it block scheduling, but I, I specifically designate time in my calendar for different things. Yeah. I've read your writing on that and I have heard you talk about it. Um, I do want to talk about, like I said, the relationship between this and task management, but we'll save that for the task management section of the show. All right. And I've got some apps and stuff I want to talk about. We'll save it for the, because there are some third-party apps that can make this easier. Okay. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and get $25 off and stop drowning in email. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. SaneBox isn't a mail app, it's a mail service, and it works with all kinds of email programs and services, so you don't have to have a special application to get these great features. SaneBox starts with great email filtering. It looks at your inbox and sorts it for you, like your own personal email assistant. It'll put some email into the same later folder, which keeps the stuff in your inbox that you just need. You can look at the later folder later. With the same black hole, you can unsubscribe with one click. They also have snoozing, so you can defer an email to the weekend or later in the day or whenever you need. Same reminders is one of my favorite features of the SaneBox service. When you send an email out, you can copy it or blind copy it to a certain amount of time at samebox.com. Like if you say one week at samebox.com, 
SaneBox will then monitor your inbox. If you don't get a reply to that email in a week, it'll give you a notice and say, hey, uh, you said you wanted to check in on a one week. This person never wrote you back. And it's a great way to keep track of emails you sent out and make sure that you don't drop the ball. But SaneBox is more than filtering. You can move attachments to Dropbox and other cloud services, and you can get in for as low as $4 a month. Now, there's a 14-day free trial, and I recommend you give it a shot because SaneBox can help anybody get better at their email. Just go to SaneBox.com MPU, and you'll receive that $25 credit when you sign up, but you can also sign up for the 14-day free trial. Many of the Mac Power Users listeners that try SaneBox end up subscribing. And the reason is because this service just proves itself as soon as you sign up for it. It's wicked smart at managing your email for you. It's like having your own personal email assistant. And once you try it, you will never want to go back. Thank you, SaneBox, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users and helping me out manage my email. Once again, that website is SaneBox.com MPU. Uh, so next, let's talk about contacts. This is something that, in a way, predates digital calendars and and digital tasks, right? Like even on everyone's old flip phone, we had a bunch of contacts saved in there. And man, there was a time where you saved them to your SIM card, and it's like your phone got wet and you lost all your contacts. Yeah, it was yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now it's much better. Um, but uh, let's talk about maybe how you're using this. Yeah, a quick contact war story on my palm pilot it would just duplicate all the contacts about every month you know there was there was some failure with the operating system where it would just there was a bug and it would just duplicate and and then it would accelerate so like if they duplicated and you didn't fix it within a couple days it would duplicate again and and I talked to somebody at Palm at the time, like, yeah, it's just a bug we know, but we can't get it fixed, you know? <laughs> just, just to give you an idea of life before iPhone, right? Yeah. So, so <laughs> somebody, somebody made an app that would deduplicate your contacts. It would just look at it. If it was a duplicate, it would delete it. And it was $50, and everybody bought that app, and everybody was happy to pay the <laughs> yep. $50. And that person know? bought a boat. <laughs> yeah, you know. I feel like if you bought a boat with that money, the boat needed a double name. As yeah. like a, a <laughs> yeah. wink to the software. It's like, yeah. you know, I don't know. What do you name a boat? Uh, contact, contact. Contact, contact. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really good. <laughs> uh, anyway, but but either way, uh, so that's not a problem anymore. The it Just cut and paste uh, audibly our conversation about iCloud, G, uh, Google, and Microsoft. All three of them have contact syncing, and they're all three pretty good. I yep. mean, it's just not a problem. But that being said, I I use um, iCloud because that's where I am. You know, my my calendar's in iCloud, my contacts are in iCloud. I'm assuming you're probably the same. Yeah, uh, they're all in uh, they're all in iCloud. Every once in a while, I'll upload all my iCloud contacts to my my main Gmail account. Just like on occasion, I end up on the Gmail, like on the web, and need a contact that I don't have, and I, I the iCloud website just makes me sad so i try not to use it but uh yeah they're they all sync with icloud and just like calendar stuff it's been a really long time since i've had any problems with this it seems really robust to me yeah and just like calendars just like you can have calendars for specific areas of your life you can put put together groups of contacts for specific areas of your life as well 
And just like calendars, this is another feature I use aggressively. I have so many contact groups that I've put together over the years. Yeah, I've got a few. Uh, and really what prompts me to make them is if I need to email a bunch of people all at once, because in Apple Mail on the Mac and on iOS, actually, if you're using contact groups in iCloud, you can just send an email to the group and everyone in the group gets the email. It kind of auto-completes out to everyone's individual email addresses. And that's really fantastic if you have a bunch of people you need to email, you know, once a month or once a quarter or something. But like I don't have, for instance, like a family group or a friends group or, or that sort of thing. I have 16. Wow. <laughs> what are some examples? I mean, how do you how do you decide what's a group? Attorneys, clients, referrals, day one journals, family, Christmas cards, field guide beta testers, field guide reviewers, field guide team, friends, law related for anything that's not an attorney or a client. Uh, learn.maxsparky affiliates. I mean, it just goes on and on. I've got so many, but, uh, I, I really find it useful to do this because sometimes I'm like, well, I want to reach out to people that are in this group. Who are those people? And when you combine all the contacts you get from a law practice with all the contacts you get as a Max Sparky, you have a lot of contacts so that you just can't look at the big list. It doesn't work that way. Easy to organize this stuff. You just, you create a group and you can drag them in. Um, with some of the third-party apps we're going to talk about, you can do it with the keyboard. Um, so it's not that hard. It doesn't take that much effort. So I, this has been a work in progress for years. I think one really underrated feature uh, in any contacts app, I use the Apple one, but there are third parties we're going to talk about, or the is the notes field, where you can basically put in any text that you want. It's searchable, and you can do all sorts of things in there. I know you're a big proponent of that. Yeah, well, I feel like, you know, you've heard of uh, client relationship management software, CRM. There's a lot of really great apps out there for it. I use, like, the contacts note field as a poor man's CRM, mm -hmm. you know, because I put all sorts of stuff in there. Like, when I talk to a client and they're like, oh, yeah, my dog's name is Buster, I will just write in a notes field, dog, colon, Buster, you know, or my kid just turned six, then I can figure out the kid's name and how old they are. And it's not like, I don't mean that I, this sounds manipulative. Like now I can talk to you about your dog. So you feel like, you know me better, but I like people and I want to know about them. And it, it, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this at, from a good place, not a bad place, but I put tens of notes about people in the notes field. You know, it just, it's just a great way to kind of hold on to data. And I don't know a better place to put it than in the contact card. I do a very similar thing. Uh, lots of, of notes about people or conversations we have. I also use it if there's someone that I may have be in contact with for a very short period of time, but then I may need to reach out to them later. I'll put a note in about what that contact was. So for instance, we had somebody uh, come and, and work on a fence and a gate at our house. And so I put yeah. basically fence and gate installed you know, with the date in the note field. So if in five years I can't yeah. remember the name or even the company name, I can search gate and this record will pop up. So sometimes I put notes in there thinking about future Steven. Yeah. I, I And like when it's someone who works on the house, I absolutely do the same thing. I put what they do. Like 
you know, if the air conditioner breaks and I just search HVAC in my contacts database, it'll give me the two guys that have worked on my air conditioner and it'll have notes about what they did and when. Um, for like work stuff, like when I work with lawyers, I have like specific notes in a, an encrypted database where I, I keep like timestamp stuff. I don't do any of that in the contacts database. I, I'd rather do that kind of more in relation to the project we're working on. Mm-hmm. But I will have their name. I mean, as soon as someone comes in my life, they become a contact. And so, you know, all that personal stuff about them still goes into the notes field because it's going to be applicable no matter where their name shows up. Yeah. And um, I just think, you know, first of all, the apps should do a better job of making it easier to, um, you know, to add specific fields about dog name or whatever. But they don't. They make it actually kind of hard to add additional data. And also, as I understand the syncing protocol, there's just not space in the database for that kind of stuff. So the notes field is the catch-all. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to get into it. So you go in there and you add notes. And and uh, that's, that's a practice I've been doing again for years. And the, the longer you do this, the more payoff you get from it. Yeah, you can change the contact template, like in the contacts app on the Mac, and you can add fields on iOS, but basically it's fields that are pre-selected because the data structure of a of a V card, which is what this is called, the actual individual file you're editing, is very basic. And so you're right. Notes is sort of the only place that you can play without limitations. Yeah, agreed. And um uh, in terms of notes apps, there's there's um several good ones. Starting with just the Apple Contacts app, I think it's, you know, this is one where it's borderline all I need, you know. The stuff I've talked about I can do in the Contacts app. Um, the one downside of the Apple Contacts app is, you know, editing data and adding new data is just so, it feels like it's a punishment when you want to add somebody to your list. It is really old school in the way that that, uh, <laughs> the way that, that works. It, it's a lot of clicking and like, oh, am I editing or am I not editing? You have to save everything. It could definitely be modernized. It feels like a user interface that might have been on my 512 Mac, you know? I mean, yeah. the one with the handle. I, I feel like this could have worked there, you know? There are third-party apps. Um, the the two vendors are the same two vendors in the calendar space. You know, FlexiBits that makes Fantastic Isle makes one called CardHop, and uh, BusyCal guys make one called Busy Contacts. I Have you spent much time with Busy Contacts? I don't have a lot of experience with that one. I have played with it in the past, and like BusyCal, it is. It really feels like a more power user type of address book or contacts at Apple that Apple ships. It does do some neat stuff. You can do some tagging and things, but it it didn't really stick for me because I like you really have my needs met by the Apple app. Now the um, busy uh, contacts feels much more CRM to me. You know, they've got a lot yeah. of that type of stuff. Um, busy, um, I'm sorry, um, card hop, on the other hand, feels very much like Fantastic Island. Just to, I actually own a license to CardHop, and I use it. And the thing that I like about CardHop, but I use it in conjunction with the Contacts app, um, and we didn't mention this with calendars, but all these third-party apps access the same calendar data, so you can jump between the apps, and mm-hmm. it's fine. Um, um, so one of the things CardHop does um, that 
the contacts app doesn't is make easy entry and they've got a thing in there where you put a menu it's in the menu bar you click on it and i can type Stephen hackett you know one two three dash four five six dash seven eight nine zero and the thing will know oh that's Stephen hackett he's a new contact and that must be his phone number and if then if i write the end Stephen at i really like old max.com uh, then it'll say, oh, that must be his email. And it just automatically adds it in. And I don't have to click any boxes. I don't have to check any boxes. I, you know, I don't have to like land the mouse right on the right, you know, field on this tiny form. Everything just happens for me. So it cr- creates a contact entry is really fast. And then contact access is the same way. You can go in there and you can access contacts and you can even have it give me the email and then prepare an email to Steven. Some of that access stuff I really handle more through Alfred than I do through Cardhop. But the addition of new contacts, I find no other app can do that. And so I frequently will, you know, paste in text or type in text in Cardhop and, and create contacts. The other thing I can do is I can type Stephen Hackett, and if he already exists, it'll show him. And then I can just start typing into the notes field. It even has a, a timestamp and a date stamp button right there so I can add to the notes field. So if you're using the notes field the way we talked about, Cardhop has got some really nice features for that. It's an app you have to pay for. But um, it is, again, if it's something you use every day, it's money well spent. I'm glad you mentioned contacts in Alfred. That's how I interact with things almost all the time. So I can start typing your name and I can go down and start an email or copy your phone number or whatever I need to do. Yeah. I only really go into the contacts application if I am adding somebody new or editing somebody. But even that is possible through apps like Mail and Messages where you can use data detectors, right? If you're yeah. in Mail and someone has a signature and you click on it and it says, hey, add this person to contacts and it kind of figures out what's their address, what's their phone number, so you can you can really rapidly add people in, even if the contacts app is a is a little old school in the way that it works. There are other ways to get data into it from other parts of the system. Yeah, like another thing Cardhop can do is very easily, even with a keyboard, move a contact card into a specific group. And if you're like me and you've got sixteen groups, that's actually really useful. I for the before Cardhop existed, I used to have to go into like I would save you know, they have data detectors in Apple mail or, you know, where it can, you can just click on a contact and add them to your contact list. But data detectors never gave you a way to put that newly created contact card into a specific group. And if I don't do it at the time, I'll forget about it. And then now my group data isn't as good because mm-hmm. something that was supposed to go into the attorney list isn't there. And next time I click on the attorney button, that name will not show up. Um, whereas card hop, I can just go into the menu bar, tap a few buttons and it happens. So, you know, it just depends on the problems you're trying to solve. Um, I would say that I think fewer people need power tools for contacts. Um, but for those that need them, they're there, you know, and I don't think that contacts, the Apple contacts app is really any better than the Apple calendar app. In some ways it's worse. But I, you know, for a lot of people, it's still, it's good enough because they just don't need the power tools as often as they would for a calendar. How many contacts do you have saved in there? Uh, like, I think about 1,600. Woo, I thought I had a lot with 760. Yeah. 
And I and I do um, regular cleanouts through them. You know, like it's that's kind of like if I'm really bored in front of the TV, I may start working through. I think I have a note here. Let me check. I'm at M. You know, so it's like it's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. Once you finish, you go back again. So <laughs> the next time I want to go back and check out contacts, I started M, and maybe I'll work through a couple letters, and then two or three months later, I'll you know show up again. I just write down where I left off, but. I have, you know, so many contacts. I've been practicing law almost 30 years. You know, I got a lot of friends and big family. So it it, it adds up, you know. Oh, definitely. Uh, I very rarely remove somebody. Uh, Basically, once you're in my contacts, you're there forever. Yeah. It sure is nice, you know, when your phone rings and a name shows up. Oh, yeah. Definitely. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by the IntraZone. Finding a new podcast is a fantastic way to learn something new, stay entertained, and so much more. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, The Intro Zone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related technologies can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each episode covers a whole bunch of segments like news and announcements, a feature topic each week, guest perspectives, FAQs, upcoming events, and much more. And the topics are really interesting. Previous episodes cover things like migrating to the cloud, designing your intranet, and security and compliance, which of course is a huge concern for companies of all sizes. I love listening to an episode I checked out recently about someone moving hundreds of thousands of bits of information into Microsoft's products. They were using an old system. No one really knew how to stay up to date. When you talk about a migration like that, you have to have a plan. And it was really cool to hear about it. So go and listen to it now. Just search for The Intra Zone wherever you get your podcast. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E. Or click the link in the show notes to go check it out. Our thanks to the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right, task management. So we we covered calendars and contacts. Um, task management. I think I want to hear from you on this because I, you know, we've never really talked about it on the show. I know I was joking you earlier, but I know you were actually really enthusiastic about Remember the Milk for a while, and you've jumped around a lot over the years. Where are you at on task management? Yeah, I'm I've been in Todoist for the most part for the last probably 4 years or so. I occasionally will, you know, pick up a project or a list and try it in another application. Uh the reason for Todoist for me really is the the natural language processing. So we talked about this in terms of Fantastical, but in Todoist I can just simply type call David Monday, 3 p.m., pound MPU. And it will put a reminder in my MPU project to call David at whatever time I just said. And for me, I want as little friction when entering tasks as possible. And I found Todoist to be the, for me at least, it clicks the most with the way that I work. Um, And Todoist doesn't really have the concept of projects. It's basically just lists, but that's how... I tend to work. I don't 
you know, say that you, you were building a garage and, you know, one type of person would have all of the steps and, okay, I can't paint until I build the wall. I can't build the wall until I pour the slab. I can't pour the slab until I dig the foundation. Right. And they're very linear in the way that they think about that. And they have things that can stop progress and start progress and and all of that sort of traditional way of thinking about tasks. And that just doesn't, for, for me, that just feels like overhead I don't need. And so I basically, I've got, I don't know, probably two dozen lists and they're basically different areas of responsibility in life and things in that area go in that list and they get a date and then, and, and to do is does all that really well. So it's enough for me. Yeah, I get it. I, I feel like um, that idea of, you know, how you build a garage list, that is something that sometimes makes sense and sometimes doesn't. And it kind of gets back to the rule I said earlier about as complex as you need, but no more so, you know. There are certain things I do as a lawyer that I very much believe in checklists. You know, it's just like, you know, the same reason a pilot has a checklist. They want to make sure before the wheels go up that everything is where it should be. I need to do the same thing with my clients. There's other things that don't need that degree of detail. Um, but I need a task manager that has that option at least. Um, I do like to do a task creation process, though. I spent some time with it recently just to you know kind of see how everybody was living with it. And I can see the advantage of that. You know, I Mm -hmm. think it's very easy to get in, capture, you know, if you can capture tasks, then you'll actually do them. If you don't capture them, then they're never even going to be on the radar. And the more you can simplify that, the better. Yeah. 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 And, you know, Todoist is like this big cross-platform behemoth. So it doesn't feel particularly native on any Apple platform, especially on the Mac. Like it's very clearly a web app and at the thinnest possible wrapping and that bothers me like i wish it was a nicer mac app but it works the way that um that works best for me and and recently they added really the only feature that i really wanted that wasn't there is where you can have a list sort automatically i want all of my lists always sorted by due date it's all i care about as far as sorting yeah. and they finally added that feature a few months ago where you can basically tell an individual list always sort this way. And that has been, uh, that's kind of been the cherry on top for me. You know, the running theme of the show about infinite tasks versus finite calendars uh, means that I need a calendar or a task manager that can really handle a lot. And it should be no mystery to anybody that's listened to this show since day one that I, I am all in with OmniFocus. Um, they were a sponsor. They no longer are. And, I continue to be a big user of OmniFocus. Doesn't matter, uh, but I'm always trying these various task managers out. I think Things is a great option for people. I have a lot of friends that are, you know, following somewhere in between Todoist, where they want more features than Todoist, but they don't want the weight of OmniFocus. Mm-hmm. And Things seems to like really do it for them. I don't know if you notice, but when we have guests on that use Things, I always try to give them a lot of time to talk about it because I don't use it enough to. I feel like to give it fair a fair shake. Yeah. But I installed it, you know, used it again leading up to today, and it's still a beautiful app. Uh, it is. It has one fatal flaw for me, and I've talked about this elsewhere. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it here, too. I, didn't, I don't have a number, but probably 75% of what's in Todoist for me is a repeating task. Just a lot of my work is cyclical, right? I am on a bunch of podcasts. They all have their various release schedules. I own a business that has its own 
schedule, right? The end of the month, I've got to do certain things. On the 15th of the month, I have to do certain things, right? That's just part of owning a business. Yeah. Uh, but there are times where I need that to be flexible. So for instance, there's uh, a task I need to do by the last day of the month. And to do this doesn't have start dates. And even if it did, start dates don't really work with the way my brain works. So I have them set to repeat the last day of the month. But many months I may do it the 27th, 28th, 29th, you know, leading up to the end of the month. Well, to do this, that's fine. I can just go to that day and I can check them off. Same thing in OmniFocus or basically anything else I've ever tried. But in things that's really difficult, the whole repeating task situation and things is a is a a nightmare to set up anyways. It's a very finicky set of drop downs and very easy to misunderstand what you're doing. But once you have a repeating task, you can't check it off early unless you really go around your elbow. And that has always really frustrated me. And I've talked to them about it and other people have talked to them about it. And they say that it's going to be addressed at some point. But I think I would use things if that were resolved because it is native and beautiful and to do is neither of those things. But when evaluating these tools, that's a really important thing is like, what are the few things you can't live without? Like you said, you really need those like step by step lists sometimes, right? Because you've got to do certain things in a certain order and you can't miss any of them because they're all critical. If that's what you need, then OmniFocus is the right choice because it really leans into that. For me, repeating tasks being sort of busted and things means that it's not an option for me. And that's uh, that's a bummer, but all these tools are different from each other. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, the the idea of as complex as you need uh is something you consider on calendars, contacts and task management, you know. You know, I in the OmniFocus field guide, I started off explaining my law school task management system. When I was in law school, every morning I would drink a cup of tea and I would write down three things on my napkin. That was that was it's not like me being like cute. That was my system, you know, and by the end of the day, I'd stick the napkin in my pocket. By the end of the day, I'd have those three things done. And it got me through school with honors and scholarships and everything. So it was great, you know. Um, now, fast forward, I have 150 legal clients. I've got three podcasts. I've got these books that I'm, or video products I'm making. I've got kids. I've got social commitments. I've got, like, my life is very complex. I think right now, I just tell my wife, I think my life, will never be more complex than it is at this time. <laughs> you know, I feel like from here, it's just downhill, you know, at some point it's got, maybe I'll get back to the napkin someday, you know, but right now it's not. And there's a bunch of people relying on me to do things um, that I need to deliver the goods on. So I need a tool that can do that. And that's why I continue to use OmniFocus. I do try the other apps. I always come back. And um, the reasons, there's a lot of reasons really. Um, the, the first is just, I think the way the app thinks, you know, it's a very flexible app, but like my life, I have different roles in my life. I've talked about this on the focus podcast, but I, I break every project down into roles. Like the role as a lawyer, the role as Max Barkey, the role as a dad, whatever. And I want a way to be able to look at each role and see what are my projects in that role. And so with the way OmniFocus works, I can easily get to those, those projects. I also want the ability to keep up, you know, the idea of a review for a project. I first read about this in David Allen's book. I honestly do not understand why every task management app doesn't have some system 
to automate review, project review. It just seems so obvious to me. And, you know, tell me if I'm crazy, right? But with OmniFocus, I can say the Mac Power Users admin project, you know, project where I track all admin things for Mac Power Users, that shows up every three weeks in my review process, you know? So I don't let any balls drop. You know, I don't need to look at it every week, but every three weeks I should check in to see if there's any admin stuff I haven't followed up on. Mm-hmm. If a, a client hires me to handle a, a very hot project, the review will be one week. Every week that shows up for me to make sure I'm taking care of it. If another client hires me just to manage their corporation for them, I need to check in on minutes, make sure that there's no problems. The review process will be every four months. You know, three times a year, they will come up on my radar. And, and it's a great way because if you have a task system and you're not looking at the projects, stuff always falls through the cracks that you forgot about. So a review process lets you fix that. OmniFocus has it. To my knowledge, nobody else does. Why not? No, I agree. It's a super useful thing. So much so that I have a repeating task every other Friday to review my things in Todoist, right? It's yeah. not as flexible as what you have where you can set the the intermediate time, but yeah. I want to do the same thing because there may be something then there that I've missed or has radically changed and I haven't gotten to updating it or whatever it may be. The review is critical. And for yeah. me, for like a decade, it's been Friday after lunch, you know, just a little yeah. time. I usually do it on my iPad, not at my desk and just go through and make sure that all my ducks are in a row. Yeah. And I've tried it different ways. Like I used to do it like once a week, I would have like a standing hour and a half appointment with myself to do this. I don't do that anymore. I actually go through daily uh, because what I found was after about 15 minutes of review, my brain gets frazzled and I'm not good at review anymore. So the projects that got reviewed later weren't reviewed as thoroughly. So so I have to break it down. But, you know, however you want to do it, I think having such a system makes sense. And you can kind of wire it into a thing like things or or other you know task managers, but I just don't understand why they don't have it built in. So that, that's one of the things I like. I like OmniFocus because the capture is super easy. Like you can attach emails to it. Like with a keyboard shortcut, I can save an email with a link back to a hard link back to the email, so I can always just go back to it when I get to the task. And you know, all of these things just need to be as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Another. Big thing about OmniFocus, we haven't talked about it here, but um, there's an episode of The Automators that is releasing the Friday after this episode releases. And if this is interesting to you, I, I recommend you go check it out. Uh, Rose and I and Joe Bulig um, went deep on Omni's new automation scheme because Omni Group has always been great about automation, but they wrote their own automation language with the help of Sal Segoyan, formerly of Apple. And so there's a JavaScript language for OmniFocus and literally smart people are out there writing JavaScript plugins for OmniFocus to add features. You know, just as an example, um, Rose made a simple one where have you ever had the problem where you have like a, a task to say email David about, you know, whatever, you know, about dog collars. Mm-hmm. That this this relates to what's happening after the show. This is nothing weird, okay? Um, this, but you have she wrote a script then that when you check that off, it creates a follow up uh, task to check in to see if I replied. You know, because it's like when you email me, that doesn't mean I've replied, and then all of a sudden the whole thing falls off your radar. But she added a feature to OmniFocus with a, a short JavaScript. You know, so the the application is so flexible that 
users are now adding features through their automation language. And it's just like, nobody's doing this stuff except Omnigroup. And there's a bunch of people listening to this are like, I do not need that degree of, you know, stuff in my task manager. And that's fine. You should not be using these, this app if that's not going to work for you. But there's a bunch of people that do need it, you know, and now it's, it's available. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to indeed.com slash MPU to get a $75 credit to upgrade your job post. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. And hiring is just one of those things you do not want to mess up. You need to hire great people if you want to take your business to the next level. And with the stakes this high, there is only one choice, Indeed. Now, let me tell you why. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed's instant match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. So you can do the part you really need faster, meeting and hiring great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts, you can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. With Instant Match, you see a list of great candidates right away. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to TalentNest. If you want your quality shortlist fast, you need Indeed. Right now, listeners of the Mac Power users get a free $75 credit to upgrade their job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. So get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. One last time, that's Indeed.com slash MPU. This offer is valid through March 31. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. With respect to task, I thought it'd be fun also to talk a little bit about where I am these days in terms of how I manage tasks. Because I, I, my list is much bigger than yours, just from talking. And I do have project level organization and a whole bunch of stuff going on. Historically, I've done task management with defer dates. You know, OmniFocus has that feature where you can say, okay, don't show me this task until next Thursday. I've given up on all that stuff. It's just too much work to manage things that way. You know, um, there's a lot more to it than I would say, but the, the, I have a list, a tag in OmniFocus called radar. And um, sometimes things come in that are like, oh, this is something that I need to keep on my radar. I need to be actively following that. So in addition to, looking at the project reviews as they show up every week, I look at the radar list, you know? And then as I look through the radar list, I'm like, okay, this one I need to work on now and I will flag it. And so flags for me are things that are available to me to do right now. Radar is for me, like to use the baseball analogy, things that are on deck. And that's kind of the, the key, like organizational structure. But I also have a whole bunch of stuff that never lands on radar flags. Like, uh, when I have updates I want to make to a field guide, they're just saved to that field guide update project. And eventually I'll block time to work on that. And then I'll look at that list, but they never have to go through the whole radar flag thing. Make sense? Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, definitely. I mean, I, I've been trying to simplify it so I don't spend a bunch of time managing it. And um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about 
defer dates. I think other apps call them start dates. I think the thing is similar, but explain what those are meant to do and then maybe why they don't work for you. Well, I mean, they do work, but they work for me on a limited basis. A defer date is, is when can I actually do this task? You know, you know, if you are going to pay your gas bill, you know, and the gas bill doesn't show up till the 20th of the month, seeing that on your list on the 10th of the month is just going to be noise that you don't want to see, right? So you use a defer date or a start date of the 20th, and then you never see that pro- that task on your list until the 20th because now the defer or the start date has shown up, and now the app says, okay, now he can see that. And you know that's the idea is that you put your tasks off until they're relevant. I was abusing that concept for a long time with OmniFocus where I was putting everything on a deferred date. And it wasn't that a task wasn't available to me, but I just didn't have time for it. So I'd say, well, I don't have time to work on this contract today. I'm going to put the deferred date to next Tuesday. And then it would drop off my list. And next Tuesday, I would see it. And that would be great. And the problem with it is it just took too much time because then what if on Tuesday I wanted to move it to Wednesday? I had to change the defer date again. And like I had this whole kind of like house of cards built on defer dates, which isn't really the way OmniFocus is supposed to be used anyway. Um, uh, because it has custom perspectives, I gave up on all that. So I use defer dates now in the true way they're meant to be used. Like, um, you know, I have to pay a bill. If I have to pay the gas bill on the 20th and it's, you know, I flagged it, but I don't want to look at it until then, then I'll give it the deferred date to the 20th. But I don't use it just because I'm too busy to do this now. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's why I kind of went back to this idea of radar and flags. And I don't look at my list as has to be completed every day. I look at it as my list as a, a way to give me a list of things that are particularly important to me right now and keep all the other stuff in the background. And that ties in to the block scheduling or the hyper scheduling, because I can look at my OmniFocus list and say, hey, it looks like I've got a bunch of stuff here I need to do as a lawyer. It's going to take about two or three hours to do that. I'm going to set a block of time for three hours uh, this afternoon to do nothing but lawyer stuff. And then I'll go through OmniFocus and hit all those flagged items that I have. And the idea is you knock out all the flags, then you can go to your radar and see what what's up next, you know. But, and you set time aside for that specific thing. But, you know, the idea of a block schedule is not only does it carve out time for you to do something, it also puts a limit around how much time you're going to spend on that. Because I also have obligations as a podcaster and as a Max Barkey, and I want to make sure I put blocks in for that too. And so the whole system for me starts with this massive bucket of tasks that I filter through using clever techniques and OmniFocus And then it filters down to specific calendar blocks on my calendar of times for me to try and knock some of those out. And every day I wake up and I knock out a few more. And usually by the end of the week, I'm adding things to the radar because I've been, you know, hitting the flags and the radars to such an extent that I can go find more. And it's a very easy way to kind of get through your day without spending a lot of time managing it. Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with the the difference of what should be an event is what should be a task. Uh, I, I like how you've explained how, you, how you're doing it. You're starting with the task and kind of building the calendar from there. But you know, something as simple as, okay, record Mac Power users. I have that on my calendar because it takes a couple of hours every Monday and nothing else can happen during those couple of hours. 
but I don't have it as a task because it's something that sort of happens all automatically. And I always feel yeah. tension between the two systems. Do you have, have thoughts or advice for people who are kind of torn between what should go where? Yeah. Well, I mean, I did a blog post on it. We'll link it in the show notes, but the answer is both, you know, I mean, I also have an appointment with you to record the show. I also have a standing appointment that shows on my calendar, not yours of an hour prep before the show and another hour prep I usually do on Thursday or Friday. So there's, you know, all these calendar events that show up that are appointments to do certain things. There are no real tasks related with those appointments, but then there are other things that do tie over to the task list. Yeah. One of the things I can do with OmniFocus is it fully supports URL schemes. So like if I want to work on the Stephen Hackett company project, I can copy a link to that, that project from OmniFocus, the URL and, and embed it in a calendar appointment on Tuesday at 3 PM. And when, what I've done then is I've carved out time, the finite, you know, the finite time to work on the infinite projects. But I know that at Tuesday at three, that Stephen Hackett company project is going to get taken care of. And I've just made tough decisions about which ones make the cut each day. And then I, when I see the calendar and I can click on it, it'll take me straight to the OmniFocus project. That is the Stephen Hackett, you know, now we're getting kind of over to my whole concept of, you know, integrated computing or contextual computing where I just go straight to the thing and I start working on the thing. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, it works for me. It takes a little bit of planning to do this stuff, but not that much. I mean, these calendar apps we talked about um, all make it easy to duplicate events. And there are certain blocks I have when I start the week, like generally legal work for me gets done in the afternoon and Max Barkey work gets done in the morning. But as I work through the week, like I may have a three hour block in the afternoon assigned to do legal work, but then a client calls me that needs a specific thing done. And I will put that in as part of that, you know, I'll, I'll take a three hour legal you know, work thing and turn it into an hour and a half legal thing. And then I'll add a new event for the other hour and a half for the specific client project with the link. And so it's just a, a way of divvying up my day and the days that I'm most productive are the days where I'm able to stick to those blocks. Yeah. But it sounds like even though it, it it may seem regimented, it is still very flexible because all of us have those days where someone else's needs come crashing into our yeah. perfect systems. Yeah, exactly. And and you don't beat yourself up with it. You just say, okay, that didn't work. And you can move things around on your calendar. You know, I mean, the, the classic example is children, right? The, one of your kids has a problem and you've, you said, well, I can't talk to you now. I have four hours dedicated to working on this <laughs> thing. You, you don't say that. You just nope. move that thing to another day and then you deal with your kids, you know, and that's, that's the way you get through it. And, and with, because I have these blocks, like, you know, going back to the client thing, the Stephen Hackett company thing, if my kid has a big problem, I can look at the Stephen Hackett company thing and say, well, I was going to do that today, but Nothing is going to burn down if I do that on Thursday. Whereas in the old days, I would go into OmniFocus and change the defer date. And all I'm doing is copying the block over to, or moving the block to Thursday. And I know that I have an hour and a half less on Thursday than I would have had, but I'm going to do this thing then. And it just takes a second to do it. And visually, it's right in front of me. Using it in Fantastical, I'm able to see all these blocks on my watch, my phone, and everything else in my life. So I know exactly in the morning kind of what I'm, I'm planning to do that day. I like it. 
Uh, there's an app that I would consider if you're listening and this idea is of interest to you. And it's called Sorted. Uh, I think it's Sorted version three is out now. And it it walks the line. It's both a task manager and kind of a calendar app. And it is built around block scheduling where you have blocks of time and you can designate a time, a block as a specific time or as any time, you know, because a lot like this Stephen Hackett company project doesn't have, have to happen at 2 p.m. It could happen anytime during the day. And you just go in the the app and you move around. It's got an iOS, iPad, and Mac version. You move the blocks around and say, well, this is the general order I want to do them in. You push a button and it assigns times to them. It'll even assign like 15-minute breaks between them. It will look at your calendar and make it work around your calendar. It's a really cool app for block scheduling. And like if things you know get messed up, you can move the blocks around as well. And people also run their entire task system through it because you can set up tasks in it. Um, I mentioned it in my Max Barking newsletter recently, and a bunch of people wrote me back that got really into the app. I'm not sure how I feel about it yet because um, I manage the blocks in my calendar, and I don't really find that to be a problem. So I'm not sure if Sorted is just another shiny thing in my life that I don't need or if it's something I should be using. But I don't think I would use it as intended because... I don't think it's up to the task of task management in the way OmniFocus is, but it is very clever in the way it allows you to move blocks around. Yeah, this website looks cool. It is it is shiny. I, I could see someone like you actually moving into Sorted and being really happy with it. That, that might be something for you to consider, actually. Um, they've got great apps on all platforms. I just, my needs are too detailed for it, but... Um, but even then, I could see myself using it just to reference back to big OmniFocus projects, you know. Um, so I'm not really sure where I stand. I'm, I'm too really, I want to write it up, but I can't decide what I think about it yet. So I'm still working on it. But, but there's a lot of interesting options out there. Like if you're listening and you're interested in this like hyper scheduling, just don't go overboard with it. You know, there's a couple of rules. You don't like schedule time to go to the bathroom, you know. I mean, <laughs> you see some people and they like hyper schedule their life so to such an extent that it's impossible, you know, and then one little thing happens and everything gets thrown upside down. You just don't do that. And the other thing is make your blocks long enough. I mean, it's very easy as humans. We always underestimate how long something's going to take. Yes. And, and you say, well, I need to do this project and I'm going to give it an hour, but it, in reality, you should have given it two hours. And as a result, you get to the end of the hour and you're not done and you don't know whether you should just move on or, you know, move everything around and just, just make them longer than you think that the benefit of that is you'll actually finish the things. And usually you, that builds in some extra time. Like if you gave it two hours and it took you an hour, 45 minutes, you can take a 15 minute break, go play with the dog or whatever, before you go on to the next one. If this stuff is of interest to you, you should listen to my focus podcast. Mike Schmitz and I go really deep down the rabbit hole on this stuff. Anything else we're talking about these these basic building blocks of productivity and work? I would just say that, you know, the question that was arising as we were making the show is like, what am I missing on these? And the answer is really not much. I feel like the app developers, both at Apple and the third parties, have really delivered the goods the last few years. I mean, there was a time that task management was a wasteland on the Mac, but now there's an abundance of great apps same thing with calendars and contact management. You've got these third parties just working their butts off to make really great apps. And Apple still has a very competent entry. I feel like we're in a good space right now. Like whatever, you know, however deep down this thing you want to go, there's probably an app for you. 
Yeah. And if you're, if you have things that are really non-starters in one app, like there are so many options and I agree with you for a long time on the Mac, it was, it was pretty dire. There were a bunch on the iPhone and iPad, but really the last probably five years or so, there've really been some, some nice additions. And there's so many we didn't even touch on, especially in task management. I mean, contacts and calendars is a smaller market, but there's so many good options out there that you can find something that works the way you want it to work. Yeah. I mean, today, to be clear, was just a check-in from the two of us on what we're using and why. Uh, we didn't do a full show on any of these topics because it just it would take six hours to get through it all. Yeah. But we have a forum. So if you've got something you really feel strongly about, that's a great place to share it with others. It is. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, I think that was a good check-in, Stephen. We're good. Um, it, the funny thing is this never is at rest for me. <laughs> I'm always evolving. Even though I've used the same task manager for since it launched, the way I use it changes dramatically, it seems like, over the years. So I'm sure there'll be another day we can come back to these and have something to share. But for now, I think we're good. I think so. It, one of us will go try something new at some point. It's inevitable. I I can't help myself. Every time there's a new task manager out, I use it for two weeks. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just like, it's a thing I do. I can't help it. And, you know, someday maybe one will come on that just knocks OmniFocus right off the, the shelf for me. But, boy, no, it hasn't happened yet. I think if, if I ever stop using OmniFocus at this point, it's probably going to be more because my life got a lot simpler. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. So I'm in it for a while. <laughs> Um, either way, uh, we are the Mac Power users. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors today, 1Password, SaneBox, IntraZone, and Indeed. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find those forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com. Thanks for listening, and um, have a great week.